the essence of a man? Well, the Cologne Brute actually claims that it is, right? Uh, Jeff and I were talking about this this past week, and he sent me a picture of his uh, uh, Brute Cologne bottle that was in his bathroom, and there it was at the uh, top of the, uh, right above the word Brute. The essence of a man apparently is Brute uh, Cologne, so run out and get some, guys. Um, and, and don't think, women, that this, ladies, that this... Um, series is just about being a man or something like that. The reason why it is titled from a a man's man to God's man is simply that's what Jesus and God did in Peter. It It transformed him from a man's man, we might call him, to God's man. Um, Something that's popular these days is facial hair, you know, growing a beard. And apparently, according to C.H. Spurgeon, uh, I don't agree with him here, but I, like, I do like a lot of what he's done and such. Um, C.H. Spurgeon said, Growing a beard is a habit most natural, scriptural, manly, and beneficial. So uh, there you go. Yep, Tommy, you're there. Uh, Ben's not here with us this morning, but he's have us all built, uh, beat on that. So, so what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be transformed from maybe even accomplishing being <clears throat> a man's man? But, but we're looking to become God's man, God's woman. Uh, Simon, who's later to be called Peter, was really uh, in many ways a man's man. Uh, he was a fisherman of Bethsaida, a, a town that means house of fish. So for his occupation, he was coming from the right place. We'll, we'll see that he moved his family, which includes his wife, to Capernaum. And Jesus uh, was, uh, lived at Peter's home during his ministry in Capernaum. But Peter did have a wife. You need a wife in order to have a mother-in-law whom Jesus healed, as we'll uh, look a little bit at next week as well. Uh, but he was from Galilee. And uh, the Easton's Bible Dictionary says the Galileans had a marked character of their own. They had a reputation for an independence and energy which often ran out into turbulence. They were at the same time of a franker and more transparent disposition, which means they wore their hearts on their sleeves, the Galileans did. In these respects, blunt, impulsive, strong-headed, and simple, Simon was a genuine Galilean, the Easton's Bible Dictionary tells us. Kind of a a part of this that we're looking at here this morning, something that I've been thinking about a lot lately, how did you hear about Jesus as your Savior? Uh, For what Jesus had done for you. I've been thinking lately about how, uh, really, I I, kind of think that when we're in heaven, we're going to know the links of people that link me, the link of people that links me to Jesus' disciples. Someone told someone, and they told someone, and they told someone, and they told someone. And so, so who told you about Jesus as Savior and Lord? For Simon, it was his brother Andrew. Simon was a fisherman with his brother Andrew, along with James and John, who were also brothers. And, and, and they were followers of John the Baptist. 
that he was spiritually minded in this way. He was looking for uh, Israel to be restored through the Messiah, and uh, and John the Baptist was proclaiming repentance um, in in ushering that in. And and Peter's brother Andrew comes and finds him, and he says, "We have found the Messiah." And Peter's first experience with Jesus, and this is first of three initial experiences with Jesus before becoming uh, one of his 12 disciples. But we read about it in John 1, verses 35 through 42. It says, the next day again, John, this is John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples. And And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this. And they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher. And John kind of explains these um, Aramaic terms uh, as as he writes this. They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He, being Jesus, said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas which means Peter. It's kind of interesting. I really did not plan this this Sunday that we'd be wearing the name tags uh, here. And as Jeff referenced, did you know that all of those, all of us who will be in eternity with God in heaven, knowing Christ is our Savior, that, that we're told that Jesus has a white stone for each one of us with a name written on it for us that only he knows. If you look at your name tag, in some ways, it's like your Simon name. But you're being transformed into something else. You're being transformed into something that you will finally be when you're in his presence. How long does it take for Jesus? I should say, how long did it take for Jesus to transform you? You're like, exactly. Somebody else said that in the middle of the first service too. Exactly. Most of you are like, did? How long did it? He is still. I've got so far to go. This meeting is the beginning for Peter of a long process of being transformed. And I want to challenge you here this morning. Trust in God's plan to transform you. God's transformation of Peter should remind you to trust in God's plan to transform you. Jesus looks at Peter and he says, you are Simon, the son of John. I guess I should have son of Chuck on my name tag here, right? He says, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And Cephas and Peter, it's, 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 the term means rock. Cephas is Aramaic, Aramaic and, and Petros is the Greek term. And this is just the first time that Jesus calls Peter into a deeper relationship with him. 
We'll see in Matthew 4, he comes to him, and later he comes, shortly after, comes to John and James and says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And it says they dropped their nets and they followed him and they followed Jesus in part of his Galilean ministry. It's kind of a short evangelistic ministry. And then in Luke 5, we'll see Jesus meet up with Peter again. And that's when he calls him into full-time, if you will, uh, service along with Jesus, one of his disciples. And we'll look at that next week. But I want to correct something that, that I found stated about this verse here. Okay? When Jesus looks at Peter and says, your name is Simon, but you will be called Cephas, he's not looking into Peter and seeing that he's a rock. That's humanism. That's a man-based Christianity that says, God brings out of us the best that we are. No. Peter was not a rock. He was never going to be a rock without Jesus. He's looking at Peter and he's saying, he's seeing what he is going to transform him into, that he would not be without the work of Christ in his life. It was a common practice of teachers to give nicknames of their students. Renaming is also a common practice of God throughout the Old Testament as well. Because it's, a, it's an exercising of authority over that person. And so before Peter has ever even followed Jesus for a day, he's given a nickname. And that nickname is not traditionally used um, as a name. It wasn't used as a name at all until this point. It, it, the, 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 the Greek term sounds like Petros, which means rock. And Peter's basically told by Jesus, I'm going to transform you into a rock. And looking ahead, it was a gradual process. Of calling. And the fact that, that, that God was going to transform Peter into a rock didn't mean Peter could go into autopilot, right? Okay, well, good. Okay, well, I'll look, I'll look forward to see what, that hap what happens there. No, but just like for us, Peter would learn from Jesus to say what he overhears him pray in the garden. Not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. Transformation happens in the process of one day surrendered after another day surrendered after another day surrendered. Transformation is not like a seed becoming a plant. Okay? Because everything that the plant needs is in that seed. It just needs the right environment. right? And that's what... Humanism, man-based theology will say, well, just given the right environment, the person will transform into what they are. The kind of transformation that God is talking about is like the transformation that sediment goes through to become rock. It's what sediment goes through to become granite or to become marble. It's metamorphosis. It's tra transformation that takes heat and pressure and time and God's power working in it. In the same way, does, does a boy growing into a man mean he's been transformed? No. Our world is plagued with men who were never transformed from being boys. Our world is plagued with men that are asking themselves, am I a man yet? Transformation happens 
with the pressure and the trials and the opportunity that shape a man into what he becomes. With God at work in his life, the plan that God has. Peter says as much in 1 Peter 1 verses 6 through 7. He's talking to people that are going through that pressure and those trials and those opportunities. In this you rejoice, he says, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's saying to them, let it transform you let God transform you and he's speaking as one who is transformed from Simon into a rock by God that's what we see over the course of the gospels his Peter's name comes up over 200 times in the gospels four times more than anybody else combined from the disciples His personality, he's he's naturally impulsive. When Jesus comes to the disciples walking on water, which we'll probably look at, he says, Lord, if it's you, command me, and I'll come out to you on the water. Explaining that Jesus will never wash his feet. Remember that? No, you'll never wash my feet, Lord. And he, in John 18, he's defending Jesus at his arrest with, a, with his poor aim. And, and it says that he's having a sword, drew it and struck off the high priest's servant and, and cut off his right ear. In John 21, after Jesus' resurrection, the disciples have taken up fishing again. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord there, he, he threw himself into the sea. He was naturally impulsive. He was also naturally tender-hearted and affectionate, learning that Jesus must wash his feet in order for him to join with him. He says, Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head. And of course, we know about him bitterly denying Jesus. And in John 21, in the process of being recommissioned to serve Jesus for ministry, Peter explains, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Peter was tender-hearted. Peter had special experiences with Jesus. That's one of the three closest to Jesus. He saw him heal Jairus' daughter. He saw him weeping in the garden as he prayed. He sees his full visibility as he's transfigured. He had special experiences. He also had a lot of special expressions. You know, right after the transfiguration, he's like, Lord, let's build three booths. We'll sell tickets or something. I don't know. Sometimes expressing the slowness to understand the deeper truths. In Matthew 15, he says, uh, can you explain the parable to us? Jesus says to him, are you still without understanding, Peter? I, but honestly, I believe that Peter is just saying what all the other disciples wanted to say. He's just saying what we would say at that moment. But at the same time, Peter spoke up a lot. He had a lot of expressions, some of them inspired by the Holy Spirit, proclaiming Jesus as Christ in John 6, saying, you have the words of eternal life and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. 
And asked by Jesus in Matthew 16 about his identity, he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus talks about how that, that gospel statement, he will build his church on and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He has, he has some, some famous expressions and he has some infamous expressions. He, he speaks presumptuously. After, after Jesus explains that he'll be crucified, Peter takes him aside and rebukes him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. He has infamous expressions of denying Christ, either after, even after saying he would die for him before denying him. In Mark 14, we see him evoke a curse on himself and swear, I don't know this man of whom you speak. I don't know about you, but I find myself amazed that spending every day with Jesus personally did not transform Peter. But we're going to see in our study here what did transform Peter. What did transform him? It was after Jesus had been resurrected and ascended and the indwelling Holy Spirit came and was available to Jesus' followers that, G that Peter was transformed. Peter, Jesus foretold this in, in John 14, 15, and 16. I won't go into those verses, but the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost when Simon Peter was filled with the power to preach. In Acts 2, he, he burst forth saying, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. <clears throat> he became a mouthpiece that had been transformed. And he was defiant toward the religious rulers who questioned by what power he was able to heal in Acts 3. And he says in Acts 4, Let it be known to all of you that to all the and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This, when they're threatening to do to him what they had done to Jesus, which just days earlier Peter had denied knowing anything about Jesus for fear of that. And Peter was ultimately transformed, you see, by the presence of the indwelling Holy Spirit. And this is the same Holy Spirit that every believer has indwelling them. Has indwelling them. This is what Romans 8 tells us in verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, and anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And in verse 14 he says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. And verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Peter is a night and day 
example of the transformation work that could not be done even by the very presence of the God-man walking daily with him, but took place once the Holy Spirit was available and began indwelling God's people. And God's transformation of Peter should remind you to trust in God's presence to transform you. Because you have that whole... You didn't get to walk with Jesus personally, physically. But you, if you know Christ as your Savior, you have what transformed Peter. That even walking with Jesus personally couldn't do. Peter's boldness compelled him to share. His Holy Spirit boldness compelled him to obey God, no matter what the cost, even as the religious leaders threatened him out of fear. Peter's joy in the Holy Spirit allowed him to rejoice, even when persecuted for Jesus. In Acts 5, verse 40, we read, And when they had called in the apostles, these, they being these religious leaders, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ, the Messiah, is Jesus. We read about in Acts 4.13. In that moment when Peter was saying, by this power this man was healed. That it says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But they'd been transformed by the indwelling Holy Spirit. One writer says of Peter, he is now no more the unreliable, changeful, self-confident man ever swaying between rash courage and weak timidity, but the steadfast, trusted guide and director of the fellowship of believers, the intrepid preacher of Christ in Jerusalem and abroad. You know, I saw this transformation illustrated in the fact of these videos that I love to watch and I, I used to love to teach youth from. Uh, they're the visual Bible. And there are these great videos. I have copies of them if, any, if anybody want to borrow them. They're, they're in VHS. You can actually see them on YouTube now. But um, so they, sorry, I'm scratching my back. Um, <clears throat> so the visual Bible did the book of Matthew. And, and part of why I love it is every word that's uttered in this video is uh, word for word from the NIV. And, and, and so this is the actor that they used for Peter in the book of Matthew. His name is Garrett Schoonhoven. All right, and he's kind of a little bit goofy. He's a little bit like, oh, you know, and speaks up every now and then and stuff like that. And and um, so that was the book of Matthew. But then they did the visual Bible did the book of Acts. Same thing, every word uh, straight out of the NIV and and all of that. And you know what? They didn't use uh, Garrett Schoonhoven for the book of Acts. It wasn't going to work. You know who they used? James Brolin. Kids. James Brolin is the father of the guy that plays Thanos, all right? That's how massive this guy is, all right? This guy, I don't know if it's from years being married to Barbara Streisand that made him so manly or anything, but uh, James Brolin is the actor that they get that when he walks into the scene, it's like, you know this guy's in charge. 
Okay? They don't even say, oh, here's the general. He, he's like, this guy's in charge. You know, if he's, if he's military, he's like, you're watching it thinking, this guy needs more medals on his chest or something. But, but it was interesting to me and revealing, and, and I know why, that they couldn't take the actor that they used in the book of Matthew to play Peter in the book of Acts. They had to pull out James Brolin to give these sermons, to stand. But, but you know what? In some ways, I wish they had. Because it's not about what he was made of. It's about what was in him. It's about what he was just letting come out of him. Right? Peter wasn't transformed when he got into Jesus. Peter was transformed when Jesus got into him. When Jesus got into him. Same way, you're not transformed when, you're, when you get into God. You're not transformed when you get into church. You are, you will be transformed when you let God get into you. When you let him get into your junk. When you open up that closet with all those skeletons. And you let him work there. You know, we talked about before, when somebody becomes a believer, it's like they're a container and they're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fills it up to the brim, but they're only filled with the Spirit as much as they are filled with, like being filled with that liquid. We got to let God, we got to surrender what else is in there. We got to let God get that junk out in repentance and pull it out and in surrender and with every bit of space that is opened up, we ask him, Lord, fill me with your spirit. And where we'll be filled more and more with him, the more we let him, the more through repentance we let him get the sin out, get the junk out, the more we surrender to him. Let me ask him, what did Peter already do naturally? Right? Jesus was like, okay, who can tell me? Peter's like, I don't even know what the rest of the question is. Me. He speaks up. You know, most of the time he's putting his foot in his mouth, right? That's what we see. But notice something. God takes Peter's giftedness. He takes his bent. He takes how God made him to be. Always speaking up. And that's what he transforms. He didn't make him into something different. He transformed what was already there. In the same way, so many people think, oh, the only way that I can really serve God is to become a full-time missionary, and I can't do that. So, oh well. No, he takes us at our job. He takes us with what we do already. He takes us in our family, in our town, and he starts to allow us to walk around repentant and transformed and surrendered. And like Peter, just start opening our mouths and see what he does. God brings thousands of people to know Christ. Was it because Peter was James Brolin all of a sudden? No. He was the same guy. It was the Holy Spirit working through him, doing amazing things. The fact is, is Peter was just a tool but he was a tool in the hand of God. And he was a tool doing what God made him to do. 
right? Think, think of a hammer, all right? You got a hammer and you're like, I know how to swing this thing, right? But a hammer's made for hammering nails. Guys, it would not go over well if your wife's like, I need something hung there, but I think we should pre-drill the hole. Pre-drill? What? I got a hammer. <laughs> There's a hole. No, a hammer's got to be doing what it was made to do. And that's kind of what p- happened with Peter is all of a sudden he was doing the job that he was made to do, but he was still, he was still the tool. A hammer's got to be in the right hands. You don't give a toddler a hammer around a bunch of windows, right? You don't give a toddler, if you're painting the living room, you don't give the toddler the paintbrush. You're going to be buying new living room furniture. But a paintbrush in the hands of a master makes a masterpiece. A hammer in the hands of a carpenter makes something new. And Peter was doing what he was, what he was already doing, but he was, in, he was allowing God to use him. And that's what it means to be transformed. Scripture assures us that every church has been given all the parts that it needs for the body of Christ. I mean, that's what, a, that's what the term member in the New Testament means. Member of the body. It's like a hand. And, and Scripture assures us that every local body of Christ has got hands, has got elbows, has got knees, has got ears, has got eyes to make up like this body of Jesus Christ. But each individual member of the body of Christ has got to let God work in them and has got to say, I'll I'll do it, I'll be used. Or else it just ends up a bunch of random parts. What's needed is for each part to walk in close relationship with God. What's needed is for each part to do the work that God has given them and empowered them to do with his presence. And as God transforms each of us, he transforms us into the body of Christ. That's how it works. I want to notice something too. Peter was not transformed into something more than what you and I can become. I know that he, Jesus made him something special as an apostle, okay? But Jesus did not become Saint Peter any more than I've become Saint J.D., all right? And he tells us as much in 2 Peter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, Simon Peter, a servant of an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. This is Peter writing to the church and saying, to you who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. There is no special list of saints that God has elevated above everyone else. There's no special group of saints that we're supposed to pray to or that we're supposed to um, pay homage to. We are just as much a saint as Peter is if you know Christ as, his, as your Savior. God's transformation of Peter Lastly should remind you, trust in God's power 
to transform you. That's what Peter says next in, this, in his letter here. And he's telling this from experience. After he tells these people, you are of equal standing. with Your faith is of equal standing with mine. He says, his divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. When he says he has given us all things, he's saying that God has given through Christ, through our relationship with God, with the Holy Spirit indwelling us, he has given us everything that we need to grow. He's already given it to us. This is a royal shower of grace with no end. It's a blank check of ability to change and to grow with no strings attached. This life that, that we're given is a fullness of life. It is the abundant life that Jesus promised. You know, um, seeing the Avengers this last Friday, I won't give anything away. But it is slow. I'll just tell you that. It's a slow three hours with a, with a yeah, really hard stop at the end. But anyways... Um, so how, how, how do these guys get their superpowers, right? Spider-Man, he's, he was bit by a radioactive spider. Hulk was exposed to gamma rays. Batman, yeah, just received a really big inheritance, right? That's, that's how it happened. The fact is that Peter was transformed by the power of God. He was transformed by the power of God. His transformation, as much as he says right here, his divine power has given us everything that we need to be transformed by God's power. And that's what we're going to be learning about together during these weeks. Let's bow in prayer and then we'll be dismissed.